A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and today I'm joined by Matt Turumpitz. Hello, Matt. Hey there. Interesting to record on a Monday, isn't it? Yeah, it's throwing me out of whack, but I did just about make it, and I definitely didn't realise that it was already half past seven and get a reminder from our video producer, Steve Amy, that I needed to get my butt onto the live stream. Uh, we're joined by PR man as well, Chris Stevens. How's it going, bud? It's good. I had a really interesting office debate that you seem to not find particularly interesting. No, it's a really dull office debate. I'm now I'm angry that you've brought it up again. But go on then. Let's kick off with that. And then you guys can judge for yourself. A, okay. is, is this a good debate? And B, which side of the not good debate are you on? No, I agree. With you. It's not a brilliant debate. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. But it's just a debate I had to have because it's the kind of nitpicking thing that we have to go through. But basically, we were trying to determine uh, how many circuits one of our clients had won on. And they've won on different layouts of the same circuit. And I was, and we would think, well, does that mean they've won two different circuits? Does that, does that count as two or is it only one? So you, you be the judge of, of, of that. So for what it's worth, I think that the two different layouts are probably more similar to each other than they are to a different track. Therefore, I would count that as one circuit that they've won on. I'm tempted to agree with you. Matt. It's, uh, would you make more money if they were separate circuits? Then they're separate circuits. Oh, it's all about the money. Bingo. We are going to be talking about some F1 news today, but firstly, a slight admin apology for those who didn't quite get the Japanese Grand Prix race review before their Monday morning commute. What happened was, and a credit to ACAST for getting it sorted overnight, is that our caches or something on the feed uh, were blocked and it didn't get released. However, Credit to Acast, who have been fantastic service providers for the last two years. Their Australian team picked up the problem because I was sat there panicking at half 12 at night and resolved it for me at two in the morning. Of course, some people have their automatic download set for around that time. So some people missed it. Apologies. Normal service has been resumed. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Let's talk about some news. Dirty News. Matt, 
It's all about Renault. There's been like a temptation or a hint that some big news is about to break for about two weeks. What's going on? Obviously, the CEO changes were at kind of company level, but how is that going to affect us at F1 level? Well, this is the thing. The CEO changes were about two weeks ago, and it all relates to the ongoing slow dissolution of the Nissan Renault partnership. And the reason it's back in the news is one, everybody's favorite. I mean, and I think Chris will back me up on this. Everybody's favorite who to be buying, doing, or saying a thing right now in the paddock has to be Mazepan, has been yet again rumored to potentially be buying Renault. And if you talk to people, as one occasionally does, off mic, what you get is a lot of, um, oh, what's the word? A lot of negativity about them actually continuing in the sport. And what just happened a few days ago is the interim chief executive, Clotilde Delbos, who is not known to be a fan of Formula One, has given new guidance that their car sales will be down and has said the company will need to, quote, make some choices. Now, she's not the permanent CEO. And I'm going to guess any changes to Formula One will not happen until they appoint a permanent CEO. But as it happens, the entire global auto industry is looking at a challenging year or two, according to analysts, with sales down in the major markets like North America and China. This will potentially have an impact going into 2021. Uh, Matt, I just want to clarify, just between you and I, uh, when you talk about Mazapan uh, potentially joining uh, Renault, I, I, I am also of that, not opinion, but it's also a thing I've heard. Do, do you, have you heard that reported aside from the more private source that we've been talking about? Have you heard that more widely reported? I haven't heard it more widely reported. It's it's one of those things where okay. if you were on 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 everybody's favorite network network, they talk about it's being whispered in the paddock. Oh, I see. Okay, so right. this is basically a rumor that we are spreading is that Mazapan is interested in Renault. But Chris, I think it's it's hard to get away from the fact that Renault appear to be not certain of their future involvement. I think we're talking twenty twenty one though, isn't it? That's the that's the doubt point. Yeah, of course, there is that Concord agreement to uh, consider as well, which expires at the end of next year. There isn't a lot going for Renault at the moment. Uh, Golzen's original replacement, uh, 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 Blore, I believe, if I remember rightly, um, was a big fan of F1 and was super keen on keeping uh, Renault in Formula One. But as Matt said, his replacement is really not a fan of Formula One at all. So on top of that, that Renault have been investing a lot of money into the sport now for, for a few years, seen very little back, made no progress in the last couple of years. And now they're getting all this bad publicity from, uh, from Racing Point uh, saying that they've been breaking the rules with their uh, energy deployment. Um, and they've got no customer teams for 2021. So not a lot to to talk about. So it's not just no progress, it's backwards progress. They finished fourth last year. They're behind their customer team now. This is not a good look if you're Cyril Abitable. And it's very hard to justify talking the corporation into having spent this money. And again, if I was in his shoes, I would have said, when we get to 21, that's when you'll see the real results. However, 21 is a long way away. 
And it looks like more and more people who were originally behind the project are now off the team. And it's going to be, he's going to need to more immediately justify the return on that investment in order to keep Renault happy. And I do have one more piece of news, but I know, Chris, you seem like you want to say something. Well, I was reading some uh, a Beat Ball quotes on an Order Sport Plus feature, and you just got the sense that losing McLaren as a customer not only came as a, as a surprise to a Beat Ball, but also kind of a really big blow. Because as much as I say, oh, that, that's fine, we'll, we'll just customer our, ourselves, we don't need any customer teams, uh, you kind of get the feeling that that was going to be quite a big sort of chip for them to cash in with the big bosses at Renault. Yeah, and and this again goes to the problem they're having with Nissan. Nissan's stock prices are down. Renault owns forty three percent, I think, of Nissan. So when they tank, Renault loses money that they can then spend. Other interesting piece of news came out of Tech Time because I know Spanners, of course, will know this because he's already listened to it. Yeah, of course. Uh, but one of the things they spent money on was re-upping their wind tunnel, and it was actually closed for some time. And that very seriously affected their development path for this year. Again, the timing could not have been worse for them, given the change in uh, corporate structure that they've now encountered. And it's a real open question whether they will survive into the new set of regulations. I know when we first started talking uh, about Renault folding and we first started, I mean, a little bit cheekily talking about the Mazapan buyout, although I will say that is genuinely something we have heard and that we have heard is being discussed. And we heard it from a source we trust, Matt, and the source was saying there are serious top level conversations at Renault about whether they should sell their F1 interest. And I think now uh, more and more as the the rumours start to filter out and and then this was before the CEO change as more information comes out the more those slightly cheeky rumors we were we were talking about are looking more likely and we do have to be careful because people do come and attack us don't they Matt if we say some you know some random stuff so when you get hold of something like that you know we just like kind of hint at it but if I tell you that Mist Apex understands something I would hope that people would now take that seriously we did not do that that for this, but the case that things are looking bad for Renault is really interesting because when Honda only had one data point, Matt, you were really pushing the point of how big a disadvantage that was for Honda. Yeah, it, it's huge. The more information, the more data that comes in, the more you learn and the quicker you improve. So only Renault being its only customer is very problematic for them. Um, and you know, and we know from talking to Carter too, it's like the, the power plant itself is not as good as the Mercedes. It's not as good as the Ferrari. And uh, according to Summers, it may not even be as good as the Honda, but it is more expensive. So there is that to go with it. And it just, it gets hard. Uh, let just a shout out to our chat room. European says Spanners should announce understands uh, in the in the accent of the source uh, to give us a hint. No, I shall not. I will not do that. Chris, another great comment uh, in the chat room from Des, and you can join our chat room by searching for Mist Apex Podcast on YouTube. If you do it on your phone, you get us at the top. And you get the little chat section at the back. It's a decent way to spend a couple of hours. I do that with a few of my favorite podcasts as well. Des says, uh, Mazapan is why we need a super license system. 
Could you possibly explain to us why I keep saying the name Dimitri Mazapan and what that might mean for future driver transfer news? Uh, well, of course, Dimitri has a son who races in Formula 2. Nikita uh, is actually the teammate of the reigning, uh, well, freshly crowned reigning champion, uh, Nick DeFree. Uh, and he was doing really well in GP3 uh, last year. But um, it hasn't been a great season uh, for him. Uh, I don't think there's any hiding from that. Uh, he did test the Mercedes uh, earlier uh, this year in Barcelona. Uh, it was part of the, the, the rookie test. Um, I would like to see uh, Nikita in, in F2 for another season, see what he can do, let him get to grips with it a little bit before we properly uh, judge him. Um, I was going to uh, read another comment, actually, uh, from uh, Keith Humphreys, uh, saying that uh, the only team likely to adopt Renault engines is Racing Point, so why produce a 12-page a uh, discourse on uh, its braking system? Uh, and frankly, I, I don't think Racing Point are going to take Renault engines. Why turn away from Mercedes? All right, when okay. it's it's a good package. I think uh, I need a bit of catching up here because McLaren are taking Mercedes engines. So that will be yes. Mercedes, McLaren, Force Racing, Point Stroll, India, and Williams. So Mercedes yeah. are going to have four teams. Yeah. Is that is there com- some kind of maximum? Is there some kind of minimum on? what? Th- there is a, a, a loose rule saying you can only supply uh, three teams, uh, but the FI will allow you know dispensation on that rule, and that rule was going to be broken for McLaren. Okay, and it's not even it's not even breaking the rule. It's just you need to get permission, and they did. Okay, so uh, let's go back to Mazapan for a second. We're talking about Mazapan looking to get a seat. De Vries, is he lined up to get a seat? No, he's driving for Mercedes in Formula E this this season. Okay, well, as far as we know so far, Formula E is a it's a one way tunnel. You go from Formula One to Formula E or another series to Formula E. No one has come from driving competitively in a Formula E car to then going to Formula One. So is De Vries done? And Mazapan is going to come in as a less bad stroll. I'll get Chris on that first, Matt. Uh, I I right now I can't see uh, Mazapan making it into. Uh, Formula One, not with the form he's been on this season. Unless his dad buys a team. Well, if yes, if his dad buys a team, that's a whole other story. But at the same time, he has kind of got to get some super license points on the board um, as well, which he's not been doing uh, at the moment because he's about to lose a whole heap as well. I was going to make the nitpicky point that technically Albon went from Formula E. No, no, that's why I said. And that is why I clearly specified had raced competitively in Formula E. Yes, I'm well aware that he had a contract. Didn't we have like a 45 minute argument about it last time? Yeah, but why not have the same? Yeah, let's have another 45 minutes. It was such a good time. Let's go round and round in circles. But Chris, yeah, yeah, not looking good for, for Renault anyway. And of course, everyone's going to point out, oh, Gasly technically did a Formula E race, you know, because he did New York in covering Sebastian Buemi because he had to race work. Doesn't count for my money. Um, no, OK, not not having realised that, that does kind of adjust it slightly. Uh, but yeah, I know in general, really. in general, Formula One isn't looking at Formula E drivers and going, wow, look at that. He's won a championship in Formula E. Let's have a look at him for a, a race seat. They're not. I mean, the FIA really is looking at its its feeder series for for t- for teams to to get their, their drivers. And there's been some interesting news has popped up, and it was everywhere, but I didn't understand it, about a Red Bull junior moving over to McLaren and that kind of highlighting the point system, uh, the, the super license point system. Yeah, well, there's with the super license, but the FIA really want you to go from National F4 to FIF3 
and then F2 and then F1. They really don't like uh, yeah, people coming across from IndyCar or from WEC or from Formula E. Also, they want you to go up the progressive ladder. Okay, let me ask a question then. As someone who doesn't understand the super license system, what non-junior uh, tier series give you super license points? So obviously we know Formula 4, 3 and 2. Yeah, they all they all give you super license points. W yeah. series gives you super license points. Yes. What what else? Will. What else? What, fr- from this season? Yeah, from this anyway. season. Yeah, what else? So, will? Uh, well, uh, WEC, Indy, Indy Lights, Formula E, uh, Super Formula. I think Super Formula. So, but uh, the point uh, is, the the higher DTM. up the championship you are in a higher profile championship, the more points you get. NASCAR will. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, it's on the it's on it's on the chart. They've basically gone through and charted most major championship series. Uh, and the reason what's interesting about since we're talking about points now um, is that Red Bull had brought uh, Patricio Award, who was Mexican and raced in the United States, on, thinking he had enough super license points to uh, to race for them next season and they chucked him into super formula once they ditched uh dan tictum who everyone agrees is is better off ditched i suppose and where what what happened with the fia is they took a more careful look at red bull's claimed hall of points for award and decided that he didn't deserve them because in certain instances they didn't feel they were enough entrance to warrant the points so he was racing for Red Bull in Super Formula and suddenly had no way to get a super license for next season. So Red Bull um, actually gave him an early release. And the big rumor now, I don't know if you've heard this, Chris, is that he's being looked at by the McLaren IndyCar project, which will also be a good fit for him. But if you're Liberty and you want to make more people in North America watch the sport, this is a terrible thing. He was a popular driver. He was a convincing Indy Lights champion. He's not only raced in the United States enough to have sort of a known name, but he's also originally Mexican by descent. This guy is your marketing dream if you're Liberty. And the FIA were like, meh, sorry, Red Bull. We decided no. And, and, and so from that point of view, regardless of the racing, I, I think it's a bit of a shame it didn't work out. And we didn't get a chance to see him. I mean, maybe a shame, but is it wrong? I, I don't think so. The FIA have to do, they have to enforce the rules that they set out when they made the super license, uh, super license rules. So I, I don't think he's getting any unfair treatment here by saying you can't have those points because you have to establish a certain competitiveness of a, a championship before you can just dole out 40 points to them. See, I, I love that um, because I come from a time where there, where you could just go to the FIA and ask for an exemption and they would take a look and say, yeah, you know, we'll give you your exemption. They changed that because of money. Now, before we go too much further, somebody asked, um, I hammered, asked, does RBR have anybody left in the junior program? They've replaced him with Yuri Vips, who just finished fourth in the F3, um, F3 series. And almost, if he'd finished third, he would have had enough points for a super license. So the long answer is yes, but the short answer is no, not immediately. They don't have anyone with enough points for a super license. Well, there is a loophole in if you do enough miles in a uh, testing a Formula One car, they can make an exception um, to it. 
Um, I think Albon was a good excuse for that because he turned up for preseason testing with no super license. Um, and of course, yeah, people like uh, Vips, they're going to be racing at Macau uh, next uh, next month in the F3 World Cup. The field for that looks amazing. We're going to see some serious future F1 talent in there. Thanks for that, guys. What an informed panel where we can start off on Renault and seamlessly move to super license points. I genuinely learned a lot there. Uh, I hope you guys did too. If you have any specific questions about the feeder series or super license points, do send them to us, spannersready at gmail.com or go to the website, contact us form, www.mistapexpodcast.com. These guys, they know the systems. Chris was a, a journalist and, and I'm sure will be again in the future. And these guys know those systems inside and out so do feel free to send us those questions thank you so so much for your feedback we do tend to dwell on the on the poor feedback i think i think that's a natural human response so you can you can go along quite happily with hey quite enjoying the show you can go quite happily with the numbers going up and people saying yeah it's a good place to get f1 content and then one guy goes you're a bunch of smegheads and we hate you and you love Lewis Hamilton and you hate Ferrari and you're basically racist and you go, oh no, I'm crushed. It's all over. I should never podcast again. And it's so easy to dwell on those those negative comments. I do genuinely feel bad for the people who think that we are really biased towards Lewis Hamilton. And I I get it. And I get the Ferrari fans who think we're really anti-Ferrari and anti-Sebastian Vettel. I get it. But Chris, you know, we are not journalists. In fact, we we yell at you for being a journalist and doing that kind of crofty thing. You know, the thing that renders us crofty pointless is that, uh, you know, he doesn't want to really offend one side or the other. He tries to be reasonable and see both sides. So someone will say, hashtag ask Crofty. Um, so it's been reported that Vettel stabbed a steward. Uh, what do you think about that? And Crofty has to go, well, you know, uh, you know, emotions run high. No one's talking about the stewards that he didn't stab. And, you know, he has to kind of have that, that very neutral, uh, neutral standpoint. Whereas on a podcast, it can be a bit different. That Stuart had it coming. That's all I'm. Yeah, no. That's all I'm saying. Unbelievable. No, I just, I, I want to say, come back to me when Lewis Hamilton has had five crashes in ten races, and Mercedes are fluffing up every opportunity to win a race, but we're still singing their praises. Come back to me then, and uh, then we'll. No, no, it's a good point, but I would just say that uh, Not Buyer has just said, you're not journalists, we've been robbed. Uh, Matt seems quite offended. Matt is technically a journalist. He is FIA accredited, as has Chris Bean as well. So, okay, we we have some journalistic spirit, and I try and bring that credibility. Of course, Joe Saywood comes on and lends that, and Matthew Summerfield too. Yeah, I mean, I spent four years in the Formula E paddock, so I like to think I know what I'm talking about. So, um, Sean Charlev has an interesting, if entirely off-topic question. He likes my gray shirt very much and would like to know if he can get one for himself. Okay, we are... We are we are upping the merch game. This wasn't a deliberate way to talk about the merch. Uh, I think if you if you go on the website, there is a merch tab somewhere. It's not fully formed, but yes, you can buy these black Mist Apex t-shirts, and I'll take orders for the grey one as well. We've got a cap. Ooh, I haven't got it in the shed somewhere. And we've got some hoodies too. Oh, and of course, and we've got the mugs. We've got the mugs as well. We, it's not very profitable 
for us. We will cover our costs and uh, and a little bit just to make it worthwhile. Uh, however, you're more than welcome to, to come and check out uh, what we sell. Uh, so apart from Chris, Matt, Summers, Joe Sayward, we're not journalists. So apart from th- most of the panel, we're not journalists. But But Chris makes a great point. We are in an era where Hamilton has been more or less on top of his game. He, you've substituted out Rosberg, who was really challenging him in a period where Mercedes were completely dominant and the rest of the field weren't, weren't up to scratch. So that meant that you, Hamilton could only build a seven point gap per race and, and Rosberg did fantastically well. He's now been replaced with a driver who is more comfortably slotting into a number two position. His early championship challenges yielding to supporting the team and doing the best for the team, as we saw in Singapore. And we're in an era where Vettel has made a lot of mistakes. So I almost wish, I almost wish it was the other way round so that I could prove how unbiased I was. However, I do have every sympathy for the people who get annoyed and upset. And I apologize, but for what it's worth, I will say that I, I am honestly giving you my opinion and I am honestly telling you that I'm a Hamilton fan. And I hope that you will take that in spirit. It's intended. And if you come at me with a good argument, like Marcio uh, Goncalves has, of course, it helps that he's done the super chat for two euros. Um, Vettel defended well against Hamilton. No mention here. And we're certainly not saying that Vettel never races well. You don't win, you don't win a world championship, let alone four by accident. He clearly is a great driver. However, uh, in the period that Mr. Apex has been running, we've not had an awful lot of great things to say about him. So we do have sympathy for that. And we will move on to the 2021 regulations in just a while. But I will say thank you so much to the people who've left iTunes reviews, because in the overall sports category last week, we got as high as in all sports. So including football, fishing, golf, every single sports podcast in the world that is available in the UK charts, we got to. 144, 144 out of all sports podcasts. And I could not be more delighted. It's not all about downloads. Sometimes it is your support. I know there's podcasts that get less downloads than us, like for a fact that are above us. However, it does help that we've had a lot of good reviews lately like this from Richard, who says, insightful and entertaining F1 commentary from a team who make you feel like you're listening to a group of good friends and Chris. I I added that last bit myself. Uh, Guest appearances from big names like Joe Saywood and Matthew Carter give depth to the coverage. Superb production for audio and video. Was going to detect half a star for always forgetting comment of the week, but was feeling generous and rounded up. Thank you very much. And this is a good one, Matt. Uh, Bitplin says, Little and large, Cannon and Ball, the two Ronnies, and now the pantheon of comic and straight man duos can include Matt and Spanners. There we go. So people do say some nice things. Yes, but which one of us is the funny one? Hmm, we'll have to work that out later. I know which one is the most informed one, Matt. I'm happy to debate you on racing incidents, and that's when I tend to get most animated. However, when it comes to the news and having your finger on the pulse of what's going on, I do genuinely turn to you and to a much lesser extent, Chris. The 2021 regulations, what's going on? Have the teams approved? Why do the teams get to approve? What What's happening? Well, it's at that interesting place. We're starting to see some leaks from last week's meeting. Um... And the nut of it is 
that there is an agreement. We've heard that Ferrari, for example, we've heard that Ferrari will retain a veto going into 21, but it will be more limited than now, and that they will have to go to the actual FIA Court of Appeals in order to exercise it. It won't simply be something they can pull out of their back pocket and say, no, they're actually going to have to go and wield it in an FIA-sponsored forum. We know that the budget cap has been agreed to. It is an entirely useless $175 million, but nonetheless, it has been agreed to. And uh, according to Dieter Rinken, where we are right now is that the World Motorsport Council, which is not in session, will have to approve this by October 25th. And by no later than October 31st, in return, we will see the draft of the sporting and technical regulations published. That means that for those of you who've never been to the FIA website before, if you go there, click on the World Championship, click on Formula One, click on regulations. At some point during the day of Thursday, October 31st, I think it is, you should see magically appearing the 2021 rules and regulations. Maybe not. They might publish it on the site later, but technically the team should have a copy by then. And I guarantee you, we will hear a whole lot once they do. I I just want to uh, clarify um, as well, the budget cap of 175 million, uh, because it sounded like you said billion, uh, Matt, which would be quite the extraordinary uh, budget. Uh, But no, do you remember like back earlier in the year and they were saying, we're going to have the regulations out by the summer and then it got postponed to October? I mean, this is that time. This is crunch time. And now is not a good time to be hearing about teams rejecting proposals for these rules. And uh, for my money, the team shouldn't get a say in it. I've always thought this. Why are the teams making the rules of Formula One? They should just be given the rules and have to deal with it. Well, yes, well, well it's interesting. Oh, sorry. No, sorry, man. Well, I mean, I think we touched on this a couple of weeks ago. F1 isn't a, a sport like any other it's not like the english english football leagues where it's a, a an overarching body and people anyone can enter like if we wanted to enter a team into the english football league we could fulfill criteria we could enter at the bottom and as you go up that structure you would have to get a better and better ground adhere to different rules be more successful have more funding but that's not the case in formula 1 formula 1's very much it's a franchise sport and you do get the feeling that teams like mercedes ferrari red bull to a lesser extent renault are real stakeholders in the sport so it's it's not quite a case of it's fia or the game keepers uh, game keepers and the f1 teams are the poachers it's a bit more blurred than that And it's also complicated just because of the sheer technical nature of the sport. The FIA, as the rulemaking body, does not possess the same expertise when it comes to the cars and them being built and how they run that the teams do. So the last thing you want to do is institute a rule that means that no car gets more than halfway around the first lap before the engine explodes. And this is, I think, where a lot of this back and forth initially came from. Uh, I did want to mention, I had read uh, somewhere else, I don't recall off the top of my head, that some prize monies are going to be kicked down the hill. I think four through six will now be getting more money for four through six than they previously do. But the real issue is going to be the spec cars and the spec nature of the sport, which 
teams have been saying, we don't want GP1, we don't want IndyCar. And uh, we've even seen suggestions that rather than have all these specified parts and these very tightly prescribed rules, that perhaps in order to save money, because ultimately this comes down to money, and ultimately money goes back to that global auto industry thing we were talking about, in order to save money, that perhaps the teams would open source their designs so that midfield teams could see exactly what Mercedes designed and use it for themselves or not as they see fit. Uh, Summers didn't think that would save any real money. I don't think anyone's going to start out saving any real money, but with a budget cap in place the teams have to adhere to, the way forward is obvious. I I take real issue with that whole GP1 IndyCar argument because we don't we already have it? How do you tell the difference between the cars? It's what color they are. You don't tell the difference by what bodywork they are because the differences in the cars are so minute you cannot see them on TV. And there has been that way for such a long time now that for me, this, oh, we don't want GP1. We've already got GP1 as far as I'm concerned. The difference is the color and the speed. Are you telling me you cannot tell the difference between Mercedes front wing and Ferrari's front wing? Because, oh my goodness, even I can can. do that. No, I can because I'm a massive Formula One fan and I watch every second of on-track action. But for 95% of the audience tuning in, they're not going to be able to tell. Chris, your point is well taken. However, from a technical point of view, whether a casual viewer can tell between the cars, I mean, it's not wacky races. You're never going to have one that's a double-decker, one that's a biplane, uh, and one with a a spinny mole people thing on it. But Matt, from a technical point of view, Formula One isn't uh, isn't GP1. Because look at the the huge difference between the top three and the bottom three. There's so much... In the, ways of, in the way of aero, the, the teams can throw at money to make that gap massive. Yeah, well, and fundamentally, this is the problem. The teams have been buying performance, and they have such an outlandishly sized budget that the gap between those who don't have that size budget and those that do, and this has always been the nut of the problem, has expanded to the point where if you're not in the top three teams, you're almost, you're going to get lapped more than 50% of the time, even if you're finishing seventh on the road. And yes, we would see that in the past, but I think given the fickle nature of the global TV slash internet watching audience, it's in everybody's best interest that that fight be closer and that we get more surprises than we currently see. Now, an interesting side note to this, not covered in these regulations directly, are the power manufacturers, but they have actually been discussing amongst themselves being regulated as to how much they're allowed to spend and to the point where they want to limit on the number of engines because they don't see being able to spend because it turns out that they run 150 engines a year in addition to the ones they build and send to the teams just to keep the development more going and they cannot sustain it. So my other issue with that whole GP1 argument is that the parts they were talking about making a spec, they weren't performance parts, they weren't visible parts on the car, yet they're the ones that are being actually, no, we don't want that anymore. And that's another part of the the regulations that I think is, is maybe slightly going in, in, in the wrong direction. It's a small point because overall what we're hearing about 2021 is very good. Uh, now, the point about the engines is very interesting because we all hoped 
maybe that they were going to bump it back up to four engines per season so that we don't have you know three races in a row where people are just starting at the back for 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 performance reasons at a later date so for me i if these regulations strip down force that's got to be a step in the right direction if they don't it's a horrendous miss op- missed opportunity well it, it is stripping the downforce but it's also how the downforce is created as well because so much of it is going to come from the rear diffuser uh, now i.e. not wings okay uh, also uh, you know people are talking about indycar indycar is moving away from being an open wheel series it looks like to me i mean i've already seen formula e uh, and that second generation of cars it doesn't look strictly speaking like an open wheel series indycar has the big covers over the rear wheel it's now got the aero shield uh it's got the if you've got front wings that can like really kind of protect the wheels you're going away from open wheel racing because the whole point of open wheel racing really is that it takes away the full contact element where you're not you know where you're not nascar rubbing it creates more downforce though so for me, I think that's a nice argument to say that you should do it. Like you, you should do it, but then it, but then it's not an but then it's not an open wheel series anymore. So anyway, Chris, one handed racing. We were talking about this on the Patreon pod and decided to bring it to to the news feed. The Ferrari about Leclerc going through one thirty R one handed. On the one hand, they go, oh, in olden days, in olden days, men were men. There weren't no power steering. They had to change gear with their hands. They were driving round Monaco one-handed. That's when men were men. And then now Leclerc goes through 130R one-handed because he's got to hold on to a piece of debris and he's desperately trying to keep his Formula One car together instead of saying, look at the, the strength and control of the modern Formula One driver who's having to compete through many more layers of competition. Look, we have finessed the world of potential motorsport drivers to this elite that have this high skill level. No, it's, oh, F1's too blinking easy. Look at that. You can drive one-handed. No, I'm, I'm sorry. 130R has been an inconvenience on a straight for many, many years now. The only reason we haven't had this discussion for the last 10 years is because nobody's had to go through 130R one-handed, except for maybe in 2010 when they used to have to cover the F-duct. Remember back in those days when they had to cover uh, the hand or for McLaren, it was with the left knee because it wasn't, you're not using your left foot on a straight. So they used to pop their knee up and that was what stalled the rear wing for the F-duck. That was the original design. But I'm, I'm sorry, we were watching drivers go one-handed through a Rouge in, in those days. And it's just, it's just such a ridiculous argument. Yeah. Okay. These cars have got a lot of downforce now, but it, it's not making the cars easier to drive for my money. For, I think that there are things that could be done to make them harder, for sure. Getting rid of power steering would be nice and adding a lot more power because I think we can. But at the same time, to say that Formula One is just easy now because they've got so much downforce is just such a ridiculous argument. Okay, good. Well, I think that summed that up quite nicely. There we go. Uh, Matt. I just did want to sneak in before we move on that the reverse grid quality that we were oh, discussing yeah. a couple of weeks ago has officially been deep sixed from next year. But interestingly, and I don't know how you feel about this, now suddenly the idea of two day weekends, like as we saw in Japan, has suddenly popped back up and some of the teams are making not entirely negative noises about it. But this is also, in my opinion, 
and I'm interested to see what you say. This is part of the problem. It's like every bright, shiny object. Oh, it rained. We should have sprinklers. Oh, it did this. Oh, we should do that. It, it's sort of, you know, I mean, let's think about the positive and negative first, and then let's make a proposal. Let's do a study, and then let's put it to a vote. Um, but what did you think of the two-day weekend? Okay, well, uh, quickly, just the reverse grid, because that's the first one you brought up. I want yeah. it. I want yeah. them to try it. I want them to try something different. But it really would be a massive, massive change to the fabric of Formula One. So I can see why that didn't get through. I've, I've made my feelings on it very, very clear in, in previous episodes. And I can't tell you how relieved I am that they're not going towards this gimmicky tryout. Okay, you call it gimmicky. First of all, it wouldn't be every race. It would be a handful of selected races. So not every quality, just some. And secondly, and here's the thing that I like about it. If I design a Mercedes, I design it to be in front and to be as fast as possible when nobody's in front of it and to make as much trouble for everyone behind me as possible. If I'm in a Red Bull, I do the same. If I'm in a Ferrari, I do the same. If I know that six races out of the year, I have to go through traffic. Oh, well, now I have to take that into account in my design, which means we'll get better racing at the front because those cars will do better with traffic. Those cars will do better in traffic. And right now, they don't because they're designed that way. It only being six races doesn't make it any less gimmicky. I don't think that changes that argument. And second of all, I think no matter what the regulations, they're always going to find a way to try and do that. And I don't know about you, but I think the racing this year uh, is supposedly yeah. the worst, the worst aero time for F1 and racing has no, been no, pretty no, damn no. good. The racing has been has been fine. And okay, so here's here's the scenario. Uh, you have situation A. Group of fans say this is terrible. It needs fixing. They there's a reaction to that. It goes the other way. Another group of fans goes, oh, now this is terrible. And then the reaction is, oh, people are never happy. You do it one way, they complain. You do it the other way, you complain. They're, they're, they're different groups of people. They're different groups of people complaining. Uh, keeping it steady, keeping it regular, keeping the regulations stable or at least progressional seems to be the way to make the, the teams catch up. However, Chris, I will say this season, which has been some of the most exciting Formula One, certainly since this organisation has been podcasting, has yeah. been dominated by Lewis Hamilton. If you are not a Lewis Hamilton fan now, this is a horrible, horrible period of F1. And I know and I sympathise with Ferrari fans because I was around for the Schumacher era. And as far as I was concerned, Formula One was broken because Schumacher and Ferrari were dominating everything and no one got a sniff. I sympathise. But if, if Hamilton hadn't got that big lead at the beginning of the season, this would be going down as one of the best Formula One eras, periods, regulation changes in history. And I, I completely agree with you because it just needs Ferrari and Red Bull to do proper F1-ing and actually start the season well rather than turning up for uh, for a race that started on Saturday on Sunday. And for my, so we're talking about that, that flip flop of, of opinions. If these cars end up being six seconds a lap slower, like they're rumored to be, everyone's going to say, oh, well, F1's too slow. And then we'll go back to making the cars quicker again and back to bad racing. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. I will simply point out that we've had yet another aero regulation change this year and that anyone who cares to go back and look at any time regulations were changed 
sees that the same thing always happens. One team gets it right and gets a big lead. We thought it was going to be Ferrari after testing. But as it turns out, they came upon some problems at the last minute, and it's taken them more than half the season to solve. They have clearly solved it. Their concept, as we've seen over the last couple of races, was indeed competitive, but it just took them too long. If they hadn't changed the rules, imagine the season we would have had. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Okay, Matt, I've got uh, a couple of questions for you. Could you answer them yes, no for me? These are kind of more admin questions. On on the tech time that I definitely listen to all the time religiously and not just the first three minutes to check that the audio's okay. Uh did you guys discuss the Ferrari engine uh, appeal where people talking about the them burning oil and getting a weird engine advantage and breaking the rules? Uh we did bring it up and we did talk about it. Uh if you would like Summer's concise opinion mm-hmm. as the answer is whatever they're up to is probably more or less legal. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Well, that's a summary. Just because that's been a big news story. Uh, so, you know, wondered if that was going to go any further. So Ferrari have just done well to get this engine boost. Okay, cool. And uh, you can get a more detailed summary by going to mistapexpodcast.com and looking for our tech time. It is it is some of the best content on Missed Apex Podcast, Matt. And I'm, I'm so delighted that you have the the knowledge base and the expertise to sit and have those conversations with with Matthew Summerfield. However, the statistics show that only about two thirds of our regular audience tune in. However, I, I think it does have a, we could call it a cult following, couldn't we? I would be perfectly happy with that. I, I understand that getting that deep into the details and weeds is not for every fan. And I think that's fine. But when you reach the point where you want to know some more about how things work, then yeah, go listen to a few and you'd be surprised what you can learn, uh, especially when Summers explains it. And yeah, it's amazing that he's willing to share his knowledge and time with us because he is a busy, busy man. He is. And uh, we we love Summers completely uh, to death. Uh, however, he's terrible in a go-kart. Even I beat him. Did you beat Summers? 
Uh, no, oh, I don't think come so. Come on. But... Okay, well, that's got to be your target for the next event. Uh, well, the, the, uh, winning the B final has to be my target. Now I've won the C final, so. Oh, by the way, Miss Apex karting at Buckmore again in... Did we, we did a date, but it's not coming to my head. It is May, isn't it? it April is 2-5. Oh, April 25th. Okay, the grid is is starting to really fill up already. Whilst I appreciate that it is some five months away, uh, you will have to register your interest fairly quickly if you want to get in on that. So do message me, spannersready at gmail.com. It's a Saturday afternoon. It's all afternoon. You'll be carting 45 minutes on track, but you, you come out in between races. You watch the other races. Take a breather, because believe me, you'll need it. Uh, and then we all get somewhat merry in the bar afterwards. So do email me, spannersready at gmail.com. Uh, thank you very much for everybody in the live chat room. Uh, search for us on uh, YouTube, Missed Apex Podcast. We've got a Facebook group as well, Missed Apex Podcast, at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter, at spannersready on Twitter. Chris is at Chris on Racing. Matt is at MattPT55. And we would really appreciate if you would consider us, uh, consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We are literally only here because of the patrons. So patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. You will get an ad free feed. You will get a an additional content, worse content, where me, Matt, and Chris gather round the mic with a little too much whiskey, and at least half of it is F one. The rest is nonsense. In fact, I, I'm I'm disappointed that I made a whiskey fueled decision to not cut the last twenty minutes of the last patron podcast. Unfortunately for you, in particular, Chris, that was left in. No, it was fine. I loved it. I listened back to it the other day. Oh, did you? I was, okay. just, I was trying not to laugh out loud on the bus. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's nice when you listen to your own stuff and you're going, oh, that wasn't fun. Well, it's fun for us, at least. We're the only podcast that advertises worse extra content if you support us. And also, we have a lovely Slack community as well for our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. <laughs> We're going to be looking forward to the Mexican Grand Prix shortly. Uh, but first, why don't you quickly tell me what's going on at Haas? Who put this in the dock? Uh, that would be my fault. And I put it in there because uh, previously Kubica had been a little bit coy, but it's official that Orlin have talked to Haas. And what has changed, and Chris and I were discussing this before the show, Primarily, what has changed is the fact that Orlin might become a title sponsor. Now, Haas needs a title sponsor, one, because Gene Haas is probably tired of paying all that money, uh, all entirely on his own, but also because everybody's favorite Formula One beverage, well, is no longer a Formula One beverage, it's just a beverage. Uh, so they needed to find some extra income, and it Seems like the deal would involve some Friday practices for Kubica as well as being development driver, uh, but nothing yet has been formalized. Oh right, okay. I didn't realize that anybody, no one else, was going to have any any input on that. Is, is that it then, Matt? Is that it? <laughs> uh, unless you want to talk about the Miami race, uh, can kind of briefly. And I will admit that I was just uh, I was put off by our video producer pointing out that I had made yet another egregious error on the video stream. Uh, okay, briefly, Chris, Miami. What I really want to know more than anything is can we trust the reports that it's all sorted? We've seen track maps, Jalopnik, and uh, I think racefans.net reported it as definitely going to happen. Is that is that true? 
But yeah, so th- there is a, a deal that's been struck. Uh, whether the race actually goes ahead, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, it does seem, I think we were saying this on the Patreon show as well, that it does seem like it's, it's been an awful lot of effort um, with a lot of negotiation needed. And I know Matt has some juicy details on this, um, but it does it seem like it's, we've gone to an awful lot of effort to create a very average racetrack that doesn't look like it's going to provide great racing uh in a venue that no one really asked for so i don't really see the purpose of this race from a fan point of view anyway well that's because you're not going to miami have you ever been to miami it's a pretty awesome city when it's not uh, you know mostly flooded which it is most of the time because well you know we'll get into that on our other science show probably anyway uh i digress the thing about the miami deal that I learned this week uh, came once again uh, from Dieter Rinken. And it turns out back when Liberty bought the sport, and I did mention this, uh, Stephen Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins, was actually leading a consortium of bidders from Qatar to purchase Formula One uh, from CVC. They dropped out. And as a result, uh, Liberty wound up winning, winning the bidding. Uh, but also, because they dropped out, the price wasn't as high as it might have been had they continued bidding. And now conveniently, it turns out, that Liberty is all about giving Stephen Ross a race in his hometown at the stadium where his football team, and this would be American football for those of you not in America, uh, where his football team plays. And that part of it is a done deal. He's going to spend the money. He's getting a sweetheart deal. I think he's getting a percentage of the profit, unlike any other unlike any other promoter around the world. Uh, but there is one more problem, which is it still requires local approval. And not all of the locals are anywhere near on board with it. So in that sense, you're correct, Chris. It does. They will have to convince the population that it's worth it. I think businesses are on board. A lot of hotels will be full if it happens. And economically, they're comparing it to, yes, you guessed it, a Super Bowl, which is what Liberty wanted all along. But the local neighborhood and the city council are not convinced. And they're talking about all sorts of environmental impacts being problematic. So it's very much wait and see at the moment. Oh, do you know, I just, if only more people in Formula One were talking about the climate change impacts of our behaviors and lifestyles. Chris, do you know what's so you've actually just sparked something in my head about Miami that's related to this because isn't the original date it's not even next to Montreal at the moment is it it's slap bang in the middle of May and Montreal is in June so that means we do Europe America back to Europe back to America and then back to Europe again and then we do some more Europe and then we go to America again later in the season like Come on, guys! That is not an image to when you're when you're sitting there. Oh, sustainability, sustainability! It doesn't work. Oh my god! Can you imagine the air miles Lewis would be in absolute bits, Matt? Uh, yeah, if you bother to do the maths on the greenhouse gases and the amount of flying Formula One does, you know that nothing they do is really going to make it any better at all. Uh, That's true. We we discussed it at length 
the the Lewis Hamilton thing on the Patreon pod. And that is not a, oh, we're, we're putting our best content on the Patreon pod so you'll sign up. That is because I just don't have the time to deal with the YouTube channels on on this the, the YouTube comments on on this uh, on this particular feed, uh, we've got one more topic actually that LGH Dijotma has just reminded me of that we have to address on here. Absolutely have to before we talk about Mexico. The name change of Toro Rosso, like for all the things that happen in Formula One, for all the flags and the stewarding this season, for for all the spinning, the controversy, even going as far back as Michael Schumacher, Damon Hill clashing for the championship on the final race of the season. I don't think any of that has made me angrier than the decision to allow two teams to be called Alpha next season. I am indignant with rage. Like, I am calling... I am officially calling for the sacking of whoever did that. I can't believe it, Chris. Why would they allow that? But the teams had to agree to it. So Alpha are, are chill with it, apparently. Now, of course, this is Toro Rosso being renamed Alpha Tauri for next season, which is a Red Bull fashion brand, effectively. Ridiculous. So it's a, yeah, it's basically, it's, it's a marketing move. Okay, it's a marketing move, but why did no one go, guys, I appreciate you've built this uh, this brand and you've got this plan, but at no point in your process did you consider that we already have a team with the same name? I mean, we could we could just say call Alpha Romeo Alpha and then this Alpha Tauri Alpa, because that's how it's spelt. Alpa, really? We're going to do that, are we? The Alpa? No. So, Matt, management decision. I don't lay the law down very often on Missed Apex podcast. I run Missed Apex kind of like a hippie commune where everybody's, uh, everybody's opinion counts equally. And, and there will be no, there will be no argument or disputing of that fact. We have a talking stick where we pass that around, but I'm going to lay the law down here. We're not acknowledging that name. We're going to call them Toro Rosso forever. I like that idea because I'm just thinking of, um, I'm just thinking of the time we had drivers whose names sounded almost identical. Or was it was it Felipe Nasser and Felipe Massa? Nasser, Massa, Nasser, Massa. And even the Sky folks could not keep them straight. I'll, it's just, it's going to be bedlam, disaster, dogs and cats sleeping together. It's going to be nothing. It, it's going to be, I, I cannot even, I cannot even. Okay, okay, fine. If we're going to do that, then should we discuss uh, this weekend who's going to be ahead, Minardi or Jordan? Yes. Yes, we will. Good. From now on, yes, that's what we'll do. We'll go, we'll go retro. But first, let's go forward just a few days to the Mexican Grand Prix. Okay, the Mexican Grand Prix is an interesting track. I'll grant you that. The spectator section the stadium section is spectacular it's it's fantastic to see formula 1 cars coming through that stadium however the layout of that particular that particular section wrecks the overtaking we have big problems with the fact that there is zero air in mexico and everybody's walking around with oxygen tanks at that level and sherpas guiding them around the track and but it is also interesting because mercedes struggle there which inherently will make it an interesting race and some other sections of the track uh, sections i like particularly sector one chris it's an odd one 
Yeah, that stadium section is amazing. I, I dreamed to to watch uh, Formula One cars do 50 mile an hour hairpins that uh, really spread out uh, the field and cause terrible racing. Uh, no, it, yeah, you said we were going to look forward to it. Last year, there was, what, a, min- a half a minute between each of the top four cars. Uh, but that was a, a bit of an odd one, to say uh, the least. It's going to be an interesting one, um, for sure, because, as you say, Mercedes haven't had the easiest time of it uh, here in, in Mexico. Uh, something, yeah, just something about it doesn't really work. The the odd thing about Mexico is because it is the highest altitude race of the season is that the cars are set up for Monaco, for example. But when they actually get on the track, the downforce that it's producing because of the lack of air is more comparable to that of Monza. So i.e. a lot less than what uh, they would usually have. Okay, well, let's break that down a little bit more. So you're saying that they will go for the maximum downforce they can. Yes. Okay. So what we've got then, we've got a scenario where is a even Mercedes can't get enough downforce on to make it more than Monza level downforce. Therefore you've got a track where their advantage kind of counts for nothing. This is their this is their uh, Persian army going towards the the narrow creek with the Spartan 300. Ferrari's advantage is or, or, or we should say Ferrari's disadvantage is completely neutralized in this environment because Mercedes cannot bolt on enough downforce to to make it a Mercedes track. Well, you'll still be lacking that downforce compared to your rivals. Uh, but I think here everyone's going to be struggling really, really. But Ferrari's um, advantage in their, their power output, the way they use the electrical energy deployment especially, uh, could be... Uh, strengthened uh, a little bit here because, of course, with less air, the engines are producing less power, except for the ERS, that's unaffected. Uh, and what we used to see here is this used to be a battle of the turbos as well, which is why Renault did kind of a bit better than usual here because they had a nice turbocharger on there, which might be why Red Bull are not as confident of a win this weekend. Uh, you're not mentioning the most important thing, which is cooling. The yeah, well, issue yeah. is cooling. And that's where the battle I'm guessing will be won and lost between the different teams. So I mentioned Renault. Remember a couple of years ago where, yeah, Max was out at the front, but every other Renault powered car broke down because they were following other cars and Max was out in clear air. And that's why you get this big spread as well, because the cooling is just so on the limit um, the entire time. And um, so people might be thinking back to Austria, for example, where Mercedes really struggled. Supposedly, they've worked on that issue um, since then. Uh, but uh, like I say, you know, there's such an odd track that it's so hard uh, to predict. But the, the people are going to be looking at oh, Red Bull. They've won the last two races here. They should be going really, really well. But they're not as confident. And I, I think Honda has perhaps underdelivered slightly, um, especially since we were all quite expectant. Uh, of, of Red Bull Honda in uh, Suzuka, and not a lot came of it. Well, that's because Leclerc punted Verstappen off at the second corner. True. Otherwise, I think I think a podium would have been a possibility. But but then it's still just the podium because they weren't right up there in qualifying either. Uh, and I know qualifying has become a little bit Ferrari dominated now, but even relative to Mercedes, the gap is is still bigger than than I was expecting. For example. Okay, so. This weekend looks like it's got Ferrari written all over it. It's got Ferrari one two potentially written all over it. No, Matt. I, I, I'm I'm still liking Red Bull. If I'm being honest, it's a track where they have done well. Uh it because of the nature 
of the thin air is less power sensitive than a lot of other tracks, which reduces the deficit that the Honda has. And if they've got the cooling right, and crucially, if they can get the car close enough to the ground, uh, I think you could see this could be another place where Red Bull will, will come good and deliver a victory. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And, uh, with Mercedes, I think Mercedes are, are out of it. I think traditionally, is it fair to say? I mean, we've seen Hamilton take the championship from like eighth or ninth, haven't we? Although uh, one of those years was Vettel cynically sticking his nose in. I know, I know. Chris at the time said that that was completely an accident. Uh, and the fact that that was literally the only way Vettel could stay in the championship was a complete coincidence. But we can revisit that argument later. Well, of course, Lewis can wrap up the title um, this weekend. I don't have the permutations to hand, but that Ooh, is something to, I think, to look out for. I think he I needs it will happen. 14 points more than Bottas is, yeah. I, I, is what I worked out. So I might be wrong. So I think, you know, Bottas, Bottas finishing sixth would mean that Lewis couldn't wrap it up. I don't know. I'm not the maths guy. Yeah. Well, I, I will say in uh, Merck's defense as well, uh, the big progress they've made this year has been in the slow speed corners which is what Mexico is more about. There are more slow-speed corners than there are high-speed corners. And so that might work back in their favor again this weekend. So there are reasons to think everyone's going to be quick. I say everyone, the top three teams. I'd like to see McLaren in, in, a, in circumstances that are not necessarily suiting some of the top teams really come out and, you know, really kind of... A McLaren podium has not seemed off the cards. It would be really interesting to see Sainz or, or, or Lando. In fact... I'm going to go for a cheeky bet on both of those for a cheeky podium. That's what I'm going wow. for, Chris. What do you think? I would most definitely take you up on on that bet. It would have to take a cataclysmic issue for four drivers in the top six for McLaren to be in a podium uh, score. Okay, position. okay. So, so what I'll say is to that is I think that we're underestimating the 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 amount that Mercedes struggle here. And I think it's more than just the aero. I think it's more than just the air. I think more than just the cooling. I think there is something else fundamental about this track that they they do struggle with. And I think they may well be out of... There you go. That's another bet. At least one Mercedes on merit without an incident outside of the top six. How's that? No way. Really? <laughs> oh, okay. No, I, I like that. Okay. It's interesting though, isn't it? Interesting. Uh, Matt, my it friend, Matthew, Trumpets. Yes. Yeah, you're definitely your real name because that's what I said in the very first episode and I've never bothered to learn your real name. Uh, your wife writes books. She is an author at A Weaver Writes. Check it out. If you're going to buy a romance novel, why not buy it from Amanda Weaver at A Weaver Writes on Twitter? Tell me, my friend, tell me about the tyre selection for the Mexican Grand Prix. What should we be looking out for? Pit strategy, C3, P. Dio, what, what, what comp- tell me the things, the tires. Right. So we've hit the middle of the range, two, three, four, two being the hardest, four being the softest. We were one, two, three at Suzuka for a comparison. Um, and is uh, really, I don't even know why I bother to go look at it because it's always either one or two hard tires, some selection of three to five medium tires and everything else is a soft tire because that's what you need to get the fast time in the last session in qualifying. And what we will almost certainly see is some combination of those being used in a one-stop race, unless there's a safety car or some other unusual thing that we're not going to know about till we see them run this Friday. I mean, I'm definitely, I definitely kept up with all of that. So it's a, a one-stopper. Y- yeah, everything is a one-stopper. Has there been anything Japan was to stop? 
Uh, but even Pirelli predicted the one stopper was faster. Just nobody ran it because they didn't have the data to make the tires work. The thing, it's so hard to overtake in Mexico. And I know that sounds ridiculous given how long that pit straight is. But because there's no way, there's barely any slipstream and DRS is less effective. Plus that stadium section spreads out the cars like crazy. So even after that stupidly long straight where they're doing, uh, they, were, they were doing 230 miles an hour down there before the higher downforce cars came in, uh, you can't, you just can't challenge into turn one, uh, really. The most action will be, you know, out, out, off the start and into the first sequence of corners. But this race was a two-stopper uh, yeah. um, last year. If you could stay out of the traffic. It's just such a shame. It's such a shame because that, that uh, I know they're 90 degree, degree turns, but that, that first section with the right and the left, and then you've got like runoff on the grass where you can take risks without going out of the race. You see such good action there on turn one, but the stadium section absolutely kills it for the rest of the race. And it is, it is a shame. Yeah, it's really annoying because it's actually uh, one of the few racetracks that does runoff properly. Uh, and yeah. Um, yeah. not so much with the curbs down the end of there, because I do think someone's going to get launched down there one of these days. Uh, a, a lot like what we saw in F3 in, in Monza, uh, unfortunately. But um, I, I do like that aspect of it. But I think we were talking about this in, a, in an earlier show, weren't we, about the circuits that we would bump off that Mexico was Well, yeah, but it one is, it's one of them because of the stadium section killing the the long straight and it looks it, looking at Miami it looks like they might have the same problem if there is a valid criticism of the Tilkadromes it, it is not that it's long straight with a big braking zone at the end it's the fact that it, it kills and spreads out the field going into those into those long straights altogether uh, okay then right I think that's the end of the show guys uh, at Matt PT fifty five at Chris on Racing on Twitter you can follow me at spanners ready as well do please consider supporting the show uh, at patreon.com forward slash missed apex you will get some stuff but that's that's not really important we're not selling anything you will be supporting this show and keeping us running we have absolutely 100% relied on you we are grateful we have 300 and 41 members of the Missed Apex board. That's how we see it. And we are incredibly grateful. There's time for a quick award. And that's for our chat room. Comment of the week. Okay, so this is going to take a moment because Matt is completely thrown uh, that I have remembered to do it before the outro music. However, you're on, Matt. It's been a busy chat room for a non-race review. Have you got any candidates for comment of the week. Oh, I have too many candidates. I'm laughing because the only reason you remembered it because you read that review at the beginning of the show. That, that is that the, is only, the reason. only reason, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we nearly lost half a star on our iTunes reviews because I forgot comment of the week regularly and I was so chuffed I remembered it but one minute ago. Have I given you enough time? Yes, you have. So uh, I'm going to start at the top with Marcio Gonsalves. How beautiful is Matt's hair today and what a trumpet player he is. Incredible on both accounts. Followed by Matt Sewell. Matt is sipping a half pint of whiskey whilst chatting grinder. This is fairly gone fairly off piece. And I got to say, I'm going to ask your opinion. It seems like people are catching on to the compliment me to get their name read at this part of the show. Is that, are you getting that too? Okay. So that's a disgrace. Like I don't like Matt receiving any kind of praise at all, especially for his fantastic, fantastic hair. And also Matt, when we turn the stream on and we start waffling and talking about all that stuff before the show starts, that's meant to be like privy to the people who watch at the beginning. Like we don't reveal the grinder chat. To, and the Tinder chat to the to the rest of the muggles. 
Uh, yeah, but now maybe they'll want to come check it out. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to the real award. Uh, Mirror 303 of I. Helmut Marco could paraphrase Robert Oppenheimer's famous quote, I am become death destroyer of drivers. Destroyer of dreams, indeed. Uh, it's a poison chalice. I would, however, I still feel like that Red Bull is criticized so heavily for its young driver program because of the success of its young driver program. I mean, it's brought a lot of drivers into Formula One. The criticism is because they are savage and demand nearly impossibly immediate results. But you cannot deny that they have blooded youngsters over and over over and over again. But they've looked for the very best that adapt the very quickest. You are absolutely correct. Uh, We have uh, Stephen Waters in with, uh, this might be my favorite, the budget cap is useless. About same effect as telling Spanners his limited how m- he's limited how many times he can praise Ferrari. Never gonna hit the cap. I no, I resemble that comment. I mean, resent that comment. Curses. Carry on. Uh, indeed, uh, Paul Carter has a comment that I would like to nominate for the not safe for work comment of the week, and I will read that after the show is over. But yeah, very good. Uh, Yelmer Vanderlei, in discussing Miami, need lots of drown force, which, given I made the comment about Miami drowning, I um, think that's... No, uh, Nick's not on, so puns can't win. Ah. Uh, and we have two more to go. European rich energy cans send your data to Grosjean, and he turns up to cook at your place, then crashes your car. Tailor-made F1 experience. Th- I, I, I want to say thank you to rich energy. I want to give them a big shout out. Quality product. Uh, I thought they were disappearing off the radar, and I thought I was going to have to shelve my at poor energy parity account. But they just keep going on. They keep going on. They got their CEO right to tweet about him driving a 2012 Renault and, and be like, oh, thanks, Renault F1. It's not Renault F1 at all. It's an experience day you can buy from a, a complete third party that just has the rights to use the Renault branding. They, he's literally gone and bought a fairground ride and then passed it off as a Renault collaboration, which is both the lamest and most, most wonderful thing ever. So thank you very much to Rich Energy for keeping my my other Twitter account on the road. And finally, we have Greg Brown with the final word on Alphatari, Alphambiguous. Yeah, I like it. Who's the winner, Matt? I think the winner is going to be our friend Yelmer Vanderlei. Need lots of drown force. Comment of the week. I mean, I specifically said the puns can't win because Nick's not here. Clearly, the power levels I have in the Missed Apex organization are matching that of uh, which I have when I leave the shed and go back into my home. Thank you very much, Matt Trumpets, for putting together a fantastic show today. Thank you very much to Chris for always having your finger on the button of motorsport news. And thank you very much for me for being eye candy for the show. We will see you again for the Mexican Grand Prix. We're going to do it the night of the race, however late that be, so that it's ready for your Monday morning commute. Whenever you see us next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, but glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Okay, Chris, your visible objection to my credit, my participation to the show was hurtful. I feel attacked. 
You were shaking your head. You were mocking me. You were laughing at me. I don't like it. I mean, we all know that they turn up for Matt. So. They, every, everyone's here for Matt. In fact, there was one iTunes review, which was five stars. I quite like Spanners, but I seem to be alone. Keep up the good work. And I was like, oh, fine, I'll take it. One. Uh, one signed, 80 to one for a podium. Really? Ooh, yeah. What's Lando? What's Lando? Uh, I don't know. I just saw it when I was scrolling through and uh, people pointed out that technically now BBC Checkered Flag podcast is first. Uh, yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's address that issue. So firstly, we might be wrong, but we're first. But sometimes we're wrong about being first. Also, <laughs> I know that Checkered Flag is a podcast and I, I'm not going to take that away from them. However, as if I have the power to take anything away. However, they're not a podcast organization. They don't, it's not Jack and, and Jolien, you know, sat on their ranch going, Hey, we enjoy F1. Let's, let's do a podcast and chat about it. They're a radio outfit that is broadcasting about Formula One. And then their race review is cut out and put on as a podcast. Whilst not arguing that that is not a podcast. I would say that they are not a podcast in the same vein as, as us, Matt. Is that, I don't know. Yeah, I would agree because they are a radio show, a radio show yeah. first and foremost. And what they do as a podcast is basically they record their radio show. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and put it out. Uh, by the way, Lando is 150 to one. <sighs> That's crazy because Lando can easily keep up with Carlos. So to podium. I'd be, yeah, right. but why has Carlos got so much I don't better know. odds I, on that than Lando? I, I, I tell you what, if you'd said to me, and, I, and you know that I, I am a Lando fan, and, and I, I felt that Signs was getting too much hype uh, a few seasons back at Toro Rosso, if you said to me who's who's done better this season, my perception would be they've both done very well, but but Signs has the edge. That would be my but perception. He's much more experienced. Yeah, well, well, then then it's no then then in that case the the odds reflect that don't they no no but so that's I, fine right but it but for for a small edge he has that's a big difference in odds i i think that is also combined with the fact he's had a better season as well but i don't know uh, i don't know has he? and i'm not i'm not doing lando down he's a rookie rookies uh, are not meant to has had a much no, no, better no, season. Yeah, yeah there we go yeah 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 lando's lando's a rookie like I've, i think i said at the beginning lando's been fantastic yeah but i think i said look at the results lando's yeah. amazing i said it at the beginning of the season i said signs needs to enjoy this purple patch where he can beat lando because I'm not, I'm not sure that's going to last but right now signs is the is the the premier he's the not the number one but he's the leading he's McLaren the formula driver. b champion of 2019 to no. me no there yep. you go there we go. Uh, let's leave all that in. Do you know what? Whatever. Let's leave it all in. Let's just, let's, oh, no. let's, let's merge. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365 day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.